0: This is the TRA Channel Podcast, what's the opportunity? In collaboration with ARN and
1: other Partners.
2: Looking at M&A every day in Australia and New Zealand, I'm kind of losing track. It, it was a big deal a few years ago that, you know, when you've seen a big acquisition in the tech ecosystem, Whereas now it's two, three a day, obviously of varied sizes, but I'm guessing that's not going to slow down anytime soon. Are you, where are you seeing that curve? Are we halfway up the hockey stick? I think we're, we've got a, we're, we're still seeing tremendous deal
1: flow and uh, you know the deals we're working on, you'll hopefully see announced before Christmas or shortly after, but... Um we've never had such a large pipeline over
0: it's, it's, here. Uh... Oh, and look it's across the piece. Um we uh, uh we we will um complete a, the financing for fintech um in the next couple of days. Um uh and there's a big fintech we we are hope to announce next week. Um so fintech space is very busy. The software space we announced the, the merger of Plexture and Task just a couple of weeks yep. ago now. Uh it closed just a couple of weeks ago, which is a great transaction for I think for both parties. Um, very well received um, by uh, by investors, um, and uh, so and, and across the whole software piece, well, we're seeing uh, we're seeing a lot of activity. Um, solar a minority stake in automotive again, other software business, um, good demand around there. Um, yeah, uh, IT services, we've been active. Market talk about the uh, the business we sold for. Uh, uh, in the telecommunications
2: space for uh, uh, M&F. Um, mm. So whether it's software,
0: IT services, Pentech, um, all sort of sub-sectors within the sort of broader digital economy, there's a, a lot of
3: activity and a lot of the inflow. Mm. Yeah, and when, I mean, in lens as well, to think about the sort of what we classify as the channel community, we track sort of, you know, channel NST activity. Um, so what we can see publicly, so where...
4: Either buy or sell side is Australian one is in it. And my count at the moment from ones that are, you know, and this is extremely
2: that and great numbers uh, I'll stop counting about February <laughs> uh, but just just on that I mean obviously with uh, it'd be interesting and there's loads of different ways to look at it software services, telco, certain so understand depending which way you assess it but what, what are the drivers for that because obviously this was happening before COVID anyway I mean has COVID accelerated it, has it made it harder or I mean I'm guessing with the numbers it's accelerated it but I mean has the pandemic had any impact other than quickening this up Some sectors,
1: it's um, it's caused owners to sort of reflect on what else they'd rather be doing. I mean, I think the smaller software businesses that are in the enterprise market, you know, not being able to travel makes it very hard to grow. You know, you're trying to manage because most Australian software businesses are globally focused. They have to be because it's such a small market. Um, and those that have got people in, you know, the US or the UK, I mean. We've got a client we're selling at the moment, um, they haven't been able to travel for gee, 18 months and go and see customers or you know it's hard to retain staff when you can't have that place-to-place time so a lot of them are thinking gee you know it, it's, um, it, it's been a hard 18 months and they're getting a lot of inbound interest so it's, it's a combination
4: of that and then thinking how are we going to scale and, and a lot of strong inbound interest in the sense that valuations are all-time highs so, if there's interest and it's hard, why don't we
1: just think about a transaction? I think there's a fair amount of that.
3: I think as well, I mean,
0: you think about what the key catalysts are across the, the broader tech, telco, the landscape. landscape, um, businesses in this space, are, apart from infrastructure in, in the telco area, businesses are not generally leveraged up, they're not generally tech finance, they're not debt financed when it comes to software businesses. IT services businesses, they're they're generally equity finance. So it's not so much directly cheap debt that's driving this. Um, It's more a combination of just a wall of equity capital. Um, And that's partly in the private space, but more importantly in the public space. I think, uh, you know, Swoop's, uh, Mark just said earlier, Swoop raised $40 million today just just as cash for acquisitions at a pretty eye-watering value for Swoop. As I say, when we did the task pressure deal, you know, as part of the deal, we raised $20 million, which was heavily oversubscribed, just just as war chest money. Um, there's there's just a lot of equity capital being put to work. And the second thing that drives this, and the two are feeding off each other, are, are high equity prices. And so the, uh, a lot of these just players are very highly rated. And so it's uh, and investors are crying out for, uh, for growth, so it's very easy for them to go out and buy other assets. So it's cheap cash, uh, cheap equity cash, it's yes. uh, high equity valuations, and it's also a, a, a first from the for the market for growth, particularly when yields are so growth, so slow, so low. Investors are crying out for growth, and a lot of that growth is just hard to deliver in a market, like Australia, which hasn't fundamentally changed over the last. I mean, this with the, Fundamentally, it's still broadly the same economy it was two or three years ago. Um, It's hard to, it's hard in a lot of businesses to grow um, really aggressive, especially in areas like the IT services space or enterprise software. It's hard to grow enterprise software businesses in a market which is locked down because your Salesforce can't get out there. Um, So it's hard to grow these businesses, but, but if, uh, but equity markets are really supported. So if you go out and buy businesses, that's a much faster path to growth. And what used to happen, what used to happen, uh, four or five years ago is investors used to say, well, let's adjust for M&A and look about, look through and see what organic growth is. Nowadays, nobody cares. It's just how fast are you growing? As long as you're growing fast, if it's organically or you're going for acquisition, we'll almost look through that and just look at the top line revenue and how fast it's growing. So you'll be forgiven for buying businesses as long as you're growing. Yeah, okay. And we, echoing Hugh's points as well, we, we see the same thing, which is also
3: in this kind of post COVID world. If you look at the predicted IT spend, we're seeing this predicted upsurge, certainly for the next two years as we get a little bit of bounce back. And um, there's a lot of businesses that know they can't organically grow their way into that opportunity. That opportunity is steaming up on them too quickly. And if they're not aligned into the right, you know, geographic areas, we've seen some very interesting regional uh, acquisition activity happening with people going out and hunting out businesses in, Gold Coast, Hunter and Newcastle, you start to look at some of the investments governments are making in regional businesses as a result of some of those employee workforces and some of the things happening with climate and coal and resources,
2: Uh, we're seeing interesting regional pickups. Uh, But also, i say that if you want to get into data and analytics, it's going to take you at least a year or 18 months to build that business and by then, along that opportunity, I was going to say that was my next cliche question from someone who lacks knowledge in this area. Is it better to be a, a buyer or a seller at the minute? And I know, as you mentioned there, you must get asked that every day. And I suppose every case is different. Uh, but if you wear to swing on either side, can you, you know, what? it's interesting. Normally it is either a buyer's
4: market or a seller's market. I think it's, um, I think it's both. And I think the
0: reason you can say that in this market is because, uh, the equity support is there. So it's a, good, it's a good market to be a seller, full stop. <coughs> equity prices are high. Um, yeah. But it's also a good it could market to be a buyer because investors desperately need to put money to work. In fact, if, it, if, any, <clears throat> if anybody loses in that equation, it's probably not a great market to be an investor because uh, yields are poor, prices are high, but you've got to put your money somewhere. So if, uh, I think it's not an investor's market, but, but both buyers and sellers are beneficiaries of that fact.
3: Yeah, I mean, I sort of echo that as well. We've seen a lot, of, a lot of transactions where we've got, you know, sort of sellers who are actually looking to sell a stake. So, you know, there's a few that just want to walk off to the sunset and some of that's driven by age and where they're at in terms of their own personal life and they're looking for a, a, an exit uh, out of the business. But we're seeing some that are, that, also see the same opportunity. So from the seller side, they see the opportunity to actually see continued growth in the next three to four years, and they're actually looking for a partner. Um, So they're sort of doing that shared risk thing where it's a good deal for the buyer and the seller, and they both plan on writing this thing for the the next few years because they both see the growth opportunity, much as the multiples are certainly certainly attractive from a seller
1: side right now.
2: And where is the, I know you mentioned at the start there, Mark, on the, the inbound coming in. Is it easy to identify where, from the inbound, You mean, is it it global multinationals or is it local, you know, businesses trying to get bigger and drive growth or a bit of both? Because if I look at some of the big deals of this year, you know, you've got the big GSIs, consultancy firms that just buy anyway, so that that's happening. But then you've also seen some of those probably mid-sized companies that are Aussie born that are, to your point earlier that you all raised, you know, chasing growth at an unrelenting pace and they're buying as well. So is inbound coming from everywhere? It is, yeah. It's it's as you
4: said, it's international. It's the, the, the listed companies that are, um, that are trading on high valuations. There's private equity becoming more and more interested in the sector and, and having made some acquisitions, are looking for bolt ops and also for platform investments. Um, so it's right across the board. Yeah, and I think that's some interesting behaviour. You, know, you look at, for example, Fujitsu, for even though it's a, a global company, you know, they picked up first uh, for the data analytics as a, a player to and analytics. So you're seeing some of those bubbles
2: Big five, big six. However, they there's some interesting dynamics. They all have different strategies, I suppose. I mean, Aaron, I think it was a cognizant. They, Serbian bought a New Zealand partner enterprise IT. Then cognizant bought an Australia partner. So the, the the Kiwi service provider is uh, is being acquired twice for uh, you know within the space of six to twelve months. So yeah, it's it's unrelenting. Now, are you you mentioned before? All of you referenced around different reasons for buying, and obviously there's there's multiple reasons why people would get their checkbook out. In in Australia, Mark, you mentioned a good point around regional, which we'll touch on first and then we'll go into like tech stack and customer base and that. Is that purely driven by government tenders and, and projects, you think? Because we have seen a lot more of that uh, than, than before. I mean, the, the extent that I used to think over the last five years was a New South Wales partner buying into Victoria, but that's not what you're talking about. It's really smaller markets that really were never on the radar in Australia for those MSPs.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, we we do a, quite a lot of research looking at the
2: opportunity, and it's interesting because it's not as mature. You know, if you take the the key metro areas, the, the competitive footprints there, you know, they, they move around a little bit, but they're fundamentally quite competitive markets, and, and they're reasonably well
1: understood. And now we're seeing that increased activity, some of it's driven by government t- government funding, government investment into regional areas, uh,
3: Hunter, New South Wales, uh, Gold Coast is obviously getting a little bit kind of Ballarat up and and also some other areas, but. We're seeing the same thing. If you look at, for example, leading edge data centers or edge data centers, with confusing names between those organizations. We're building out these smaller regional-based data
4: centers. You know, Smaller footprint uh, where you've got people saying, well, actually, I'd, I'd love to use a facility if there was one in Orange or Dubbo or Tamworth or other And so we're seeing interest in that. And that in itself is pulling in additional partners. So if you saw, you can see
3: what FX is doing. Uh, they've been quite acquisitive in regional areas. You saw Brennan pick up four sites Uh, in the Hunter and Newcastle. So we're seeing this growth outside the core metro. and of course it's a different dynamic with cloud because the hyperscalers aren't there. Uh, They're building out some of their edge players but you know the hyperscalers aren't even in Brisbane so you've really got a Sydney Melbourne
4: fight for the three primary uh, hyperscalers outside of that. There's quite a lot of activity in these regional hubs and these regional hubs really see themselves
3: they want to have ag tech cloud technology in, in some of these areas but that's much more friendly to do if you've got a partner that says oh I can do that and I can keep it in Tamworth or Orange growth area. You can see some of the
4: acquisition activity
2: is, is steering in that direction a little where they're seeing And there's obviously, there's obviously less competition there as well, frankly. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's uh, just seeing that, as you mentioned, well, you hit the nail on the head in terms of those examples that we've seen in the last couple of months, uh, well, it's certainly 2021. And Hugh Mark, just in terms of, uh, you know, that aggressive thirst for growth, I think uh, you put it, Hugh. In terms of you know the driving the acquisition when when these deals land and again I know every deal is different uh, it's a huge caveat, but you know to get that growth, are they are they just wanting the customer base? are they wanting the staff with it? are they wanting the technology? Does, do all those three come together as one sometimes or is it do they sometimes cherry pick in terms of what they want because we've seen somewhere you know the big consultancy players they'll buy a uh, a provider and then we know that founder will leave in probably twelve months, start another one. It's unusual, just wondering what some of the motivations are once the deal's actually struck in terms of what they get.
1: Um, you want me to jump in again? Yeah. yeah um, so, there seems to be an industry-wide shortage of, stuff of people, particularly, you know, good engineering talent and good sales talent. So, we're, we're seeing that uh, being a driver where it's just very hard to hire people. Um, we're also seeing companies that are so more in the telco space trying to diversify more into managed services so they're trying to buy a capability um, we're seeing managed service providers wanting to build security and cloud practices um, and so they're buying that capability and then we're seeing some of the larger msps wanting to get a foothold in markets like canberra um, which is very difficult to break into and, uh, and so I think, you know, it's, it's a combination of capability and, uh, and, uh, the market that they're buying into. Um, and we're seeing multiples. I mean, we, we were, we're acting for a client recently where a, a business being sold, not, not a large business, but, you know, it had a very strong footprint, uh, around government and, um, you know, a, a great business, but not a lot of recurring revenue. I mean, our, our client was willing to pay you know, eight times the DA. They didn't even make it into the second round. <laughs> so, you know, a year or two ago, they would have bought that business and
4: felt like they overpaid for it. They couldn't even get into the second round of the process, <laughs> so, yeah, it just it tells you that, that the demand is. Yeah, as a piggyback to that, as a client that we were working with who wasn't sure whether they were selling or not had an unsolicited offer uh, from an organization who obviously
3: will keep will keep more confidential. Uh, Ten times if you pretty much by email. <laughs> and you go, and you go, man, what is happening out
2: there? Is that you know, desperation, or from to to see that type? Have you seen that type of behavior before?
1: It's a relative value, I think. You yeah. know, I like it. if you look at Swoop, who is a great business, but raised, as you said, forty million dollars today at about a thirty times either multiple. It's their valuation it's about 30 times their FY 20 times wow.
2: so to buy a business at six times eight times ten times if it helps them accelerate their growth it's still going to be bulk created what would just for the for the layman myself really what would be a good before all of this kind of kind of took off what's a what was a an acceptable or a standard valuation was it six times EBITDA or Three times, or I
1: know it's hard to it do. it used to be around, you know, smaller NSP, you know, smaller service um, IT companies were sort of, you know, four to five times, and a, and a good bigger one was sort of six, maybe stretching to eight,
4: if yeah, it was, you know, it was a really top-notch business at scale, and and they've all moved up by about fifty percent now. Yeah. So you know, we're seeing even the smaller ones that are. You know,
1: um, trading at sort of six times, and, and we're seeing some of the larger ones trade at double digits. And over email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the seasonal yeah, it's, 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 you know, activity is friend that I, I was joking with another colleague and just said we should just all kind of agree that we all have NDAs
2: in place with everybody because no one can keep track of it anymore. Let's just assume that everything's in confidence with everybody because everyone's it would actually just be easier to, to assume the entire industry is covered by non-disclosure itself well, i mean staggering growth, uh, numbers in terms of activity i mean in terms of uh, i mean that's a great uh, anecdote there mark in terms of you know that valuation are you seeing some of the feedback well it's not feedback it's just anecdotal you know picking up information as a media brand from partners is that still that mismatch in in valuation but majority, to be honest, are coming from the Australian uh, businesses that are looking to buy another one. So the, you know, the Aussie MSPs that are maybe looking to buy in, in regional areas maybe or, or expand capabilities or whatever, a lot of them are saying there's a big mismatch in terms of valuations. Are the multinationals as bothered about that or are they just saying we just want them at all costs or is it hard to strip out the difference?
0: I mean, some of the big multinationals are, are a bit more driven, driven by debt prices. Mm. Um, so, uh, whereas that's if you're a if you're a, you know, a mid-size IT service firm in the Australian market, um, you, you you'll be raising limited leverage to buy a, a deal and funding it partly from catch on hand. If you're cat Gemini and you fund the whole thing with debt, the debt is virtually you know you're rate your debt at low single digits. And uh, as long as you're buying at a, uh, a you know 20 times the multiple of profit, it's still it's still earnings enhancing. Um, so I think that's where the big disjoint is between sort of the big multinational players and and the and the, and the mid-sized players that there's a there's a difference in how they um, how they can debt fund certainly. Yeah, I mean. But- that's the one thing I've seen between the different buyer groups. You've got this very different competitive dynamic between the way, obviously, that a, an investor case is put forward for a private equity
3: buy, versus the way that a global multinational looks at it, versus the way that a sort of a large conglomerate would look at it. So you've got very different kind of hurdles for them to get over internally. So we're seeing certainly. Some
2: really specific to our ecosystem from the IT services part. Mark, you touched on it before. There's a lot of those businesses that have maybe been around 25, 30 years, kind of got the name on the shop, so to speak, uh, and and have built it up. And I think you all mentioned, you know, we're going to exit at some point. It's their business, and they've obviously got to work out a plan. There's a lot of those. What's your advice to those type of businesses in terms of building out that exit plan? Because it's not, I suppose, I imagine it's quite difficult when the brand is built around you and there's quite a lot of them in Australia and there's a lot of them in New Zealand, those kind of like individuals that have built these businesses and have done incredibly well. But obviously when they go to exit, maybe 20, 25 years later, everything is really centered around them. So are are you seeing people trying to extract themselves from that to to make it more attractive for, for a buyer? I don't know if that makes sense in terms of how I phrased it. but we just seem to see that dynamic around the, the, the ecosystem that we're in anyway. You're
0: mute. I can think of two situations right now, two deals we're working on right now, where um, the founder has uh, put in place a CEO in advance of exit, just a couple of years in advance of exit. And while the founder sort of still around and at the edge of it, that means that when the deal completes, they are out. Rather than uh, rather than having to structure in a, a, a phased exit for uh, for the individual, um, so uh, I mean that's a, that's not something you can plan. You can plan. On There's a lot of other things that you can you can plan reasonably soon before the exit period. The one thing that takes a long time to plan for is you know, is that generational change is that uh, putting in place a, a CEO because you, you want that CEO to be in place in the very least, several months before, before, before transition.
2: Yeah, is, is that what uh, you've seen as well, Mark? Isles? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's always that balance between, you know, at what point do you make a, the decision based on scale or based on your,
3: where you're at personally with to build out a leadership team. So it's that kind of, you know, at some point there's a growth, a natural part of the growth cycle where you go, actually I need to put a leadership team in place. That needs a whole different set of disciplines and management. And- Buyers will value that differently because they'll either if it's very dependent on the, the individual the CEO, then they need to come along for the journey. So if that's the case, then you know that's, that lines up reasonably well. And there's always danger, of course, with putting organisations together that you can build a leadership team that's not needed And on the only the buyer you know, there might be a lot of overlap between functions. So it's very difficult to, to second guess that and for, for most of For most it's really driven by scale, certainly from what we've seen, which is there comes a time when the business will naturally do better with a strong leadership team in place so it's not a one-person based business. So it's potentially less about how the transaction might happen in the future, uh, but actually about where's the growth in the business, what's the best and optimum structure for you
0: moving forward? Because it's a little bit of a double-edged sword sometimes.
2: good for the podcast. Uh, uh, Keep it in Mark. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: right. I think we will. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we, uh, we've got a deal which should close soon where uh, the founders are locked in for five years. Um, and that's not, that's unusual, but it's not unprecedented. Uh, I don't know, Steve Nowell sold his business down to be marketing was ages ago. He was locked in for five years. It does happen. Um, but clearly when, when faced with that kind of a lock-in, you got to figure out whether you want to be locked in that way as the founder or whether you're better off putting a CEO in place. Uh, and he can cop the lock-in when you sell the business.
4: Hmm. To be, a, to be, uh, be our,
1: oh, Sorry, I was just going to add to that though, that, that they're getting, they're getting enough upfront that they're happy, um, with the initial price. So, so the lock-in is largely upside. Uh, and it's a and it's a big enough carrot that they're willing to stick around for it. Yeah. So I was just going to add, much as
3: James, you're supposed to be answering the questions. I was going to ask Mark and Hugh. And so we've we've seen a little bit of a trend with some pressure on earnouts because the challenge in a very in a very fast moving market where people are really keen to kind of capitalise. They want to do the acquisition. They want to get it done. and They want to get on with things. The earnouts just tend to drag the chain on that. So they actually act as a little bit of a handbrake because you need to keep the book separate. You almost need to run the business separately in order to have somebody on the hook for what it is that they're supposed to deliver. And we're seeing a little bit of a trend away from that to try and shorten those timelines and, and take a little bit more risk on the buy side and accept that, you know, they'll come along for the journey, but you look to motivate more than just kind of have these quite aggressive sort of earnout strategies. But I, I maybe haven't seen as much of it as, as, as Mark
1: and Hugh. Just interested in what your lens on that would be. Yeah, that, one, that one's in the software sector. So it's a software business being acquired by a, um, a, a large corporate
4: outside of Australia and, and they're not in this space at the moment. So it's relatively easy for them to leave the business alone and just feed it and, and to help them scale it and maybe get some, um, some product
1: synergies. Um, but yeah, certainly in the, in the IT services space, I mean, the, the clients we're acting for we're on the sell side, then we're always, um, I guess, we're always trying to minimise any earnout, or at least, as I said, make sure that there's enough up front that the earnout's just the, the cherry on top. Um, and if we're on the buy side, generally our clients are willing to integrate very quickly, and so you are trying
0: to avoid an out. But just to bridge that valuation gap, sometimes you just have to, you have to factor in. And I, think it's, I think it depends on the type of business at are when there's proprietary technology at stake, with the founder or key shareholders had a significant role in the development and marketing of that platform, longer earnouts. It's an IT services business where uh, it's really just about managing the uh, the employee base and, and the customer relationships. The sort of things that can be transitioned over a twelve month period, uh, especially in a market which is fast consolidating and it's a it is a seller's market, uh, as Mark says, definitely. Yeah, I believe you. More pressure on and out, fewer an um, uh fewer retentions. Uh, we're seeing W9 uh, ordering indemnity insurance on pretty much every deal now um, so in order to provide just a clean break, clean exit. Um, yeah, so a lot more lot more uh, pressure on a uh, quick, clean break.
2: Is that what you've seen, Mark, or in that? Because yeah, we're, we're, we've always been talking about the pre, <laughs> before the deal. But obviously, once the deal lands, is that is that what you've seen as well, Mark? Oh, aye, Mark. i sorry. We need we need code names. Marky. I call you Marky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes, a little bit. It's always that sort of trickery. We're still seeing that a lot a lot of deals, that the still working their way through it. But it's it's
3: Quite frustrating for some because, like, you say, you're looking for a lot of that synergy and you can't necessarily get that. You've got a separate standalone business that needs to deliver its own revenue budget that it's signed up to. There's 25% of the transaction value is hooked up on on delivery this financial year. Then why would you spend any time working with other areas of the business that's bought you um, to help them? Because that's actually time that you would spend on your own business. So there's always a, a bit of natural tension there. Uh, and why I think that we're seeing that kind of dynamic that says, you know what, it really doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, if you look
2: this up as well in terms of that next step and maybe this is beyond the, the role that you would you would play in terms of getting those deals on the table anyway but and again it's subjective I suppose but what what's the success rate of these type of MA deals I mean as you mentioned there Mark there's 129 probably 130 now while we've been talking you know in terms of in a and that we know about or that you can talk about you probably know, you know a lot more than I do uh, but are they, are they landing well? Like, uh, and again, how you define success is, is different. But I mean, as anyone, does anyone, it's one of those things where, you know, where you do that look back in a year or two and say, how did it go? No one seems to do that. So I just wondered how no, successful you are. I, 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 I tell
1: you what, it's very high success rate as long as you're
4: on the sell side. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, yeah, you
0: know, it's a seller's market. There's a lot of competition. You want to be you want to be selling businesses right now. You want to. I mean, it's, a, it's great. You know, very high success rate. The short answer. We, you know, we, we don't have any deals. We haven't got away. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a different story acting on the buy side, especially if you've got a you know you got a client who is a you know a, 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 a price sensitive, price sensible. Um, it's a it's a competitive, fiercely competitive market. Um, I was just going to add to that, I think post-transaction,
1: which is, um, you know, in terms of which ones succeed and which ones don't, um, one thing we are finding is, because it is a seller's market, more of our clients are saying to us, look, if we are going to sell, cultural, that's really important. And, you know, there are certain types of organisations we just don't want to sell to because we feel that they're their culture or their bureaucracy will just suffocate the business or the good people will leave. And, you know, we've spent a, a lot of blood, sweat and tears building it up. We don't want to see it destroyed. So there's certainly an element of that. And the hot market allows you to, to um, I guess, pick the buyer types that you, that you want to sell to and work with. Um, but where we do see them fall apart is where there's that cultural mishmash where it just doesn't, the, the businesses just don't blend. Yeah, I'd agree with that. We've done some, um, we've done some, obviously some sell side work and, and we've been given a blacklist, uh, from the seller with, <laughs> with, we'll, we'll consider a wide range of options, but not the following list of organizations. Uh, so it's, uh, it's never a
3: truer sign that it's a seller's market. Everyone's dollar is not the same, actually. We're, we find them the most, most of the people that we talk to, uh, are looking for that cultural fit because they actually want to see their business do well post sales. Um, you know, you get very few that are really looking to just genuinely sell off into the sunset around the Caribbean. And most either care about it because it's a business they grow up with, or they've still got a stake in it uh, moving forward. So we see a lot of focus around that. The other, the only other that we have seen is some organisations, frankly, are just better at doing acquisitions than others. You know, organisations that are very acquisitive. And you know, you take the you know, the big five, for example, they're constant transaction engines. They know how to do that. But
2: Just to, to wrap this up, gents uh Mark and you, I know you've been at the forefront of this for some time, but just for the benefit of well your listeners, mark and my readers, I suppose, <laughs> however you want to phrase it what what's the what's the role that you're playing in this in terms of that matchmaking and bringing everything together because you obviously have such a fountain of knowledge between you and in your team and and you 've brokered some amazing deals in in Australia and New Zealand, so be good to. Not necessarily your secret sauce, because you charge for that, but in terms of what your, your value is and what you're adding to the table as well, it would be, I think, good for those that are either looking to buy or looking to sell and think, actually, I could do or maybe speaking to these guys.
0: Look, I think it's, it's a good question. I think um, uh, if you are a fast-growing IT services business or a software business in the Australian market, um, the beauty of the market today is you've got a range of options open to you. We've talked about how much how much capital is around. So, you want to think about do I actually go out and just raise private capital and do this myself? Um, so in which case, you really need someone that, that actually has access to you know, institutional investors, got a track record about raising capital in private companies. It's you also want to think, you know, maybe we do some private company MA. Um, a bit like, uh, you know, take advantage of the market and actually merge into something that actually might create a bigger, just like we did recently with Task and. Uh, uh, so, think about um, private public MA. and uh, in which case you need someone who's really adept at running m and in private capital markets, but you might also think, well, uh, we might just IPO, because the IPO market right now is hot, there's a lot of money being put to work. So let's think about that option, in which case you need someone who's actually got a track record of IPO companies, you who know, understands public company, company listed companies generally. Um, we're, we're, we have a good fortune to act for a number of public, a number of listed companies. Um, so, uh, so we have that record. But also, you want to think about, frankly, you're an increasingly global market here, and who are the global investors who are coming in? So, for example, uh, are there some global funds uh, that might be relevant to our business? So, we we sold a minority stake, for example, um Pacific Fund Systems um, for it uh, wasn't disclosed, but it was a significant amount of money uh, at the beginning of this year. Now, on um, Pollen Street. Uh, uh, paid more for that minority state than, uh, than they could have sold that business uh, in the, if they tried, and sold, tried to sell the business in the Australian market um, through a different advisor and failed. Um, and we said the right approach is to go for global capital. Um, uh, so I had a fantastic result with going with the Street. So think about the global investors. But in that case, you need someone who's got access to those global investors, um, as we're fortunate to do uh, through, uh, through our, our relationship with our partners who are the number one um, tech advice, M&A advisory firm in Europe. And then last mm-hmm. of all, you want to think about, you know, we've talked about pretty much the Australian market here, but it is a global uh, global market of, uh, in the broader technology space. And, and so many of these transactions are being, you know, the highest value buyers are, are often global buyers coming in the Australian market. And there have been a raft of deals this year that have been foreign companies paying top dollar in the Australian market. So you need someone who's got a track record of uh, being able to capture that um, those uh, those global buyers, um, as we're fortunate to have a partners, mm-hmm. largely through our clo- very close affiliation with our, with our partners. So there's actually a whole range of options open to you, um, and rather going with a broker who can help on the IPO, or a local advisor who can help with the M&A, or um, an intermediary who says, he can raise some money, or he says they can raise some funds for you, go with someone who's actually got a proven track record in all of the options, and then you can work on the different options and choose one that ultimately is ideal rather than you work with the vagaries of the advisor you happen to be you happen to being, uh, in with.
2: Well put. Well, gentlemen, you three, I think, would know the M&A market inside out in Z. so I really appreciate you taking the time today. And I'm sure next time we catch up there'll be another hundred deals to talk about, such as the great nature of the market at the minute, but really, really pleased to chat. I mean, I, as I said, you know, covering our ecosystem, I've never, if there's any way to get a response within five minutes from partners, MSPs, integrators, it's just to put m a in the subject title and I get instant responses. So in terms of, from an editorial standpoint, working out what's hot, I've never seen a topic ever that has landed as well as it has. So. You guys are in a good spot and you've done a a fantastic job already of kind of bringing the market together. So, yeah, keep it up and and thank you very much. And thanks as always, Mark. Thanks, James. See
0: you, James. Thank you, James. See you.